0: Welcome to The Full FX Podcast, Currency Matters, with me, Colin Lambert, publisher of The Full FX. Regular readers will know that around the end of June, um, I was offered the challenge of taking taking part in a a real-life experiment, I guess, around my trade of the year, the wonderful Aussie check. And in the timing for which I have become famous over the years, we are recording this podcast just after the Aussie check has collapsed, 140 big figures in just three weeks. Oh, deep joy. So yours truly is now. at a loss um, in more ways than one. But I thought it'd be a good idea, actually, after three months of, of our informal competition to get the um, co-founders of Autonomy, the um, the company that produces Kate, the, the models. Um, so I'm delighted to welcome Andrew Brown and Ashley Daffin, co-founders of autonomy to the podcast uh gentlemen you join me at a time when you're looking a lot better than i am
1: <laughs> well it's a great pleasure to be here with you colin actually and and having the chance to discuss what we've been doing
0: yeah i mean i'd, and I'd like to start there if i could please andrew because like you know maybe just get your high level observations on how you have seen it you know it evolve you know what lessons you've learned and and i guess the big question is How crazy is Aussie check? Well, it started um, with Amos and I having
1: a conversation. You know, maybe eighteen months ago. You know, he was he'd been looking at AI, and you know he'd noticed patterns that were emerging from the models that he'd been working on. And we we looked at it in more detail, and over the course of a trading cycle, be that a half day, a day, or, or whatever, we were able to predict, you know, with some degree of of, of likelihood, the, the direction of travel, and therefore, you know, the the reality is that there is a way of trying to enhance your 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 alpha generation by by using machine learning and AI to to take a look at what's going on. And we've been listening to structured data, unstructured data, um, social media, and there's a lot of information available in the ether that uh, allows you to create an edge. Um, with the application of the right algorithms with uh, regard to our participation in the Aussie check um process you know i was you know not 100% certain when Ashley discussed it that it was a good idea because you know frankly no one had heard of Aussie check as a as a quoted currency but in reality it was a good exercise for us to go through to see if we could um, you know predict what might happen um over the course of a, a period of time, and and directly against your your own call of a long Aussie check position, so I think it's been quite a useful process for us to go through. That being said, Aussie check is not an easy currency cross to listen to, because there's no natural Aussie check um, comment or, or data available. It's it's a uh, it's a process of listening to the components and and formulating a um, a synthetic uh, view as a result of that.
0: Which in many ways, I guess, is actually a di- <clears throat> adds another dimension, doesn't it? Because you know, you started off with crypto, and obviously, I think you had the dollar index as well, didn't you? Which are which are you know, one dimensional. Well, we looked at crypto because obviously the the younger generation
1: is is very active on social media in terms of their their interest and their participation in the in the crypto markets. Um, we we wanted to have a broad cross-section of, of instruments that we thought were relevant. So we had the dollar index. We, we look at the euro dollar as as the sort of de facto G10 currency pair. Um, we've looked a little bit at Aussie as a result of the Aussie check. We've looked at some equity indices, S&P, NASDAQ. Um, we looked at the FTSE. And we've looked at uh, US bonds. So we're, we're trying to apply our learning and our our uh, concept across a broad section of um,
0: financial markets instruments to show the versatility of it uh, effectively. What are your observations then on the difference? I mean, we're you're running in the Aussie check two models. Model one, which, um, if I'm correct, has no stop loss. It just trades once a day yeah, and closes out. And model two, which does have um, stop loss and take profit levels. Um, well, your observations, the fact that, I mean, I think as at last week, I think model one was like just under one and a half percent higher, but model two was nearly five percent up on since the beginning of July. I think if you if you look
1: at the numbers, I think the the end of day model, ie no stop losses, I think is just over thirteen percent up, and I think the the model with stop losses is um, just under ten percent up since we started this process. Right you know one of the things that we think is important and and i've seen this from my time um managing trading businesses over the years is that the traders that got stuck to positions um either going up or down generally made less money than those traders that were able to capture the moves intraday so what you see is markets go up but they also come back down again even if you look at a macro trend over a year yeah, it's not going to be in a straight line. You're going to see substantial up moves and substantial down moves in that in that process. And therefore, we we felt it was important to try and capture those. Our model is one trade a day. Um, we put that on in the morning and it, it's taken off before the New York close. Um there are as a result of that, there are very limited um execution costs, and we have no capital um costs associated with with. With the trades that we do, because nothing is is held overnight um and that that's the, the that's really simplistically the concept you, you know we're looking to capture intraday moves and we're looking to do that with a a small number of intraday trades the reason why we uh included the stop loss model is because we felt that was a prudent thing to do and we you know most market participants you know don't feel comfortable running a an end of day no stop loss um position because they they worry about the one-off event the 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 most recent one i can think of is is um the swiss national bank which obviously destroyed a lot of uh individuals and banks pnls for that period of time so people are very uncomfortable doing that so that's why we included the stop-loss model the stop-loss model i would i, I would emphasize is 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 an arbitrary selection of a a, a stop-loss a certain percentage away from where the, the market is traded or the entry point so there's nothing scientific about it it's just a, it's just a prudent model and a a comparison for the end of day model. And if you speak to Amos, Amos, you know, will be very clear that the um, the business that we're developing is an end of day model. So we're predicting the next fifteen to eighteen trading hours. Um, so you know, why wouldn't you allow it to run? And actually, the evidence that we've seen, if you are able to be hands off, and you're able to to follow the the, the systematic uh, results, um, you know, religiously, then it, it's better off generally to have no stop losses and not to tinker. Um, so simply allowing the model to run has been the most productive. I
0: always knew my hodl was the correct thing to do. It's pity about the direction. So in terms, I mean, you've obviously added, you, you know, you, you hinted at it there, you started with, you know, um, with a couple of instruments, but you've added more. What's been your observation across a broader section of markets since you've been running? I realize it might be fairly early days, but you've been running these you know, uh, uh, these models across a, a range of markets now. Is there sort of any general observations or are there areas where it's really working and others it's not? I would say across the board, we've had pretty good results but everything depends on
1: what your benchmark is um you know from from our point of view we're you know we're we're double digit plus in in most instruments um or there thereabouts and we think that's pretty good um as we were discussing earlier you know we 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 struggle a little bit in those markets that are very volatile the start of the ukraine crisis for example and the last few weeks where sentiment may be less of an indicator of, of directional moves um, but even including those, the, I think the results have, have been pretty strong, and you know, backed up by the fact that you know we're 13% up in an, a one trade a day, end of day model in Aussie check. And Ashley, you know, I don't know if you want to step in in terms of the results of of S&P, for example.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, the, the question we had at the beginning was <clears throat> how much, uh, you know, if the market's a very institutional market, perhaps like bonds, does that make a difference in terms of the sentiment that we can gather? And I think, you know, it comes and goes. There are times, as Andrew says, when sentiment gets swamped by the shifting of, of bigger macro effects and so forth. But I think the key point of what we've learned is that you have to chip away at it every day and it will accrete value over time. And even in markets like the S&P and NASDAQ, where you you see some substantial volatility, Um, you know, we are up 20 odd percent when the index is down 15 percent, for example, because we can go long and we can go short throughout the day and capture the alpha that is available within that that window. Um, These are just starting points, though. Uh, We're constantly refining it and learning as a result of the trading day and where the volume comes in. I mean, S&P is all about the U.S., less about Asian time, but there is a valid prediction for Asia as well in those markets. So yeah, the returns have been surprising. And I think we, we started this, and I'm sure Andrew can add to this, with a degree of skepticism at the beginning, which was like, nah, that's not going to work. Um, why would it? And we've been very, very surprised and have tried to break it, um, but it just keeps coming back um, and the results are really quite, quite
1: impressive. Um, I I think the you're you're right actually I, I think one of the things that struck us on occasions is that if you were a a trader coming into the office or looking at markets um you would think that the logical direction of travel would be be counter to what the system is saying and actually what we found is you have to follow the science once you break away from the science um then you get yourself into a little bit of trouble and it's it's interesting because we've seen markets that have have moved lower, 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 and you would think naturally that you'd see some correction, but you have to follow the what the algorithm is saying, um, and by and large, it's it's proven to be proven to be very very correct.
0: I mean, there's an interesting point there from from something you mentioned just a, a few seconds ago, Andrew, that you know, like <clears throat> it's maybe struggling or it's not quite as strong a performance in volatile markets not driven by sentiment but you know, i mean i i teach on the aci Australia australian simulation course and i try and tell the pupils on that course as a trader you're defined by your bad days and it strikes me that the model's bad days are actually not that bad which is the definition of good trading yeah i think that's you know we certainly
1: have had some days that we would like to have avoided uh, but yeah this is not you know there is no uh no perfect system that makes you money every day, but I think by and large, you know, obviously, the results are are testament to the fact that we make money more than we lose. Our good days are, are generally better than our bad days, and that is a, a that combination is is very positive for your
0: financial performance. So, um, Ashley, as a man with the numbers, um, can you share with our listeners what the best performer and maybe worst performer is of the uh, market you're looking at?
2: Well, I think um, we started in crypto, uh, as we said, and we've seen an interesting uh, change in the way those markets have behaved. I mean, they've gone from being hugely volatile and uh, and very exciting, perhaps, to markets where the ranges are very, very tight. Um, and you know, the 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 opportunities were significant in the early days. In in crypto um and the model did extremely well at that time especially when people struggle and most of us would with crypto in terms of where do you get your direction from you know how are you trading it is it technical is it is it the whole complexity around how 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 coins are mined for example or you know really what you want to know is whether the price is going up or down which is something we've been very very effective at at cutting the noise Noise out of um, and the performance was very good in the in the wild west days of crypto it became a bit flat uh, when we had the liquidity problems within the markets uh, but it started to come back now and it's starting to increase its performance but overall it's been
0: probably one of our our better markets that's quite interesting isn't it because I mean I guess in a way that that is a microcosm of the challenge facing the crypto industry because obviously people were attracted to it because it was a wild west it was volatile you could make fortunes now people are looking at maybe the philosophically going well i've got to deploy technology and a lot of you know maybe compliance uh infrastructure around this and markets aren't moving as much returns aren't there
2: <laughs> that's right that's right um no it's certainly a challenge and i mean we've noticed that the 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 predictive ranges have have come right down to what was pretty much a, a bit of an offer spread when we started is now the day's range um, so it's certainly a challenge in terms of what's the available alpha in that market during opening hours. Um, and for a market that never sleeps, you know, the weekends are still active, but certainly much less than they used to be. But, you know, with, without the framework that we have, I don't know how you would, would approach trading those markets, to be honest. Um, it, and, and we have learned that <clears throat> the Ether Bitcoin spread, for example, or the cross between the two, has been one of our, our most outstanding performers uh, you take away the kind of the the outright direction of each component, um, and trading the cross has been enormously profitable for us. That's been one of our better, um, our, our best performing.
1: I think that's that that's a good point because if, if Bitcoin goes up five percent, then generally everything goes up five percent or goes up a certain amount. So looking at the, at the the performance of of crosses, I think has been certainly value enhancing because you're you're optimizing your value. Uh, and that has been a, as she said, that's been a, a positive for us. The other point to note about it, it's access to liquidity as well. You know, being able to exercise you know, the positions or execute the positions that you want to, to be involved in. um There's, I think, in the crypto markets. You know, we've seen the Bitcoin, for example, come what's approaching seventy thousand, sixty-seven thousand down to where it is today, about nineteen thousand. These are huge moves, and the volatility and and movements now are less. And I, I think, you know, my personal view of crypto is that there's no doubt it's here to stay. There's no doubt it is going to be involved in as a means of payment and in and as a a, a payment mechanism um going forward because it allows instantaneous payments. So I, I I think it's important to focus on on the real crypto world as opposed to the one that uh was was less real, shall we say? I'm not sure what term you would want to use for some of the the less wholesome less robust coins that were in
0: circulation (laughs) this is a family podcast i probably can't say the first thing that comes into my mind yeah yeah actually you there's another interesting point you raised there actually and i and i asked this question on behalf of cynics the world over obviously the entry and exit points to trades is in aussie check in particular is very very difficult to ascertain so how well do you think this will transfer into a real world environment and is this something you're considering yes it is yeah you know, I, I think we have two themes of
1: of work that we are or two strands of work that we're interested in one is a subscription model because i think it, it lends itself very well to institutions to 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 retail customers to to private banks to family offices in terms of of giving them an edge uh, in how they may trade the markets I think there's also an opportunity to trade um capital in its own right to do that one you need access to to funds and two you need access to liquidity and none of these signals are are valuable unless you're able to enter and exit the trade quickly and with minimal cost so most of the instruments that we're looking at you are able to access with with reasonable spreads uh even in small size so uh, that makes them viable uh aussie check is 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 more difficult for a small investor to participate in because the the costs of entry and exit are much higher and you know we assume uh a a, a mid-rate or a a bid or offer that would be an interbank type market um where we enter and exit the markets because you know That seems a reasonable assumption to make at this stage i think for for banks um the aussie check is very easy to to execute because they have access to wholesale liquidity so it's the type of liquidity you have access to can impact your performance if you're paying away one two and three percent in in entry and exit costs then clearly an intraday model is not um is not going to be very productive so i think how you access liquidity, where you access liquidity, and, and the instruments that you you participate in, are, are key determinants of your your overall performance, even with excellent um, indicators.
0: And so, do you have plans then to maybe, you know, trans transition into? Yes, we're we're in the process. So you know, we're we
1: are in the process now. Actually, um, we're we're going through the, the onboarding process, and I'm I'm hopeful. Uh, that we're able to start trading um, a small fund in, in the not too distant future.
0: Well, all I can say is I hope it continues as well as it's continued for you so far. um My only hope is that the Aussie check, the models go long and stay long for the next two months. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I, again, you know, when it goes up and we've missed it and it's a double whammy, and when it goes down and we've got it, it's a double whammy for you. So, you know, it, it's. The one thing this is, it does is it, it, it gives you an interest back in the markets because you know, it, it's interesting to see what the signals are telling you every morning. And then it's interesting to watch the performance over the course of the trading day. The reality, Colin, going forward, the versatility of artificial intelligence and machine learning on, on predictive outcomes is only going to increase. Um, this is, you know, in many ways, is a, an evolution of the macro strategy um you're using smart algorithms and they were able to sift through millions of data points very quickly and, and give you a, an indication of what may or may not happen in in financial markets we chose financial markets as the starting point is because that's what we really know that's been our background you know all of us are ex-bank traders or or uh, employees so you know that's what we know best you know but my sense is that the the opportunities going forward you know we haven't even scratched the surface about what can be done in terms of 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 outcome and sentiment and what sentiment can can give you so this is real this is happening and and this is only going to become more relevant to to buy sell-side organizations in the financial community to to investors to to retailers to manufacturers to central banks to governments you
0: know the,
1: the the opportunities going forward are are enormous
0: yeah, I mean, it certainly seems that way. Um, and I guess what we should probably have a debrief at the end of my trade of the year, um, towards the end of this year anyway, and maybe we can get into some of these philosophical discussions around how the technology would uh, can actually influence the uh, a financial markets business.
1: Yeah, I, I'd be delighted to. I think it's, it, it's, you know, we're not advocating that you, you can, you know, for most banks, they they have a a trading setup, and they have a customer base. Banks, you know, mostly commercial banks are customer driven, and a lot of their the risk that they take is is based on on the sort of flow that they're seeing coming out of their client base. What we're what we're suggesting is is happening is is not dramatically different to that. We're just looking at a a larger universe of data.
0: Well, through gritted teeth, I will say good luck for the rest you, for the rest of the year in Aussie check. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, actually, thank you very much for joining me today. And so I, I think there's definitely there's definitely another another in um when when our informal competition is finally over and I am eating all the humble pie I can find. Well, I I I would defer judgment. There's
1: still a significant amount of the year remaining. And given the, as we we, we again we chatted earlier, given the performance of Aussie Czech recently. I, you know, who knows where it's going to be at year end, but uh, it could be as it could be a lot higher. It could be a lot lower. We're approaching historical lows or certainly the lows of the last 10, 15 years, I think at these levels. So, you know, reasonably you would expect a a bounce on the old way of looking at markets.
0: So let's see. I I love an optimist and I love an optimistic note on which to end. Uh, Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time today. Thanks, Colin. Colin, thank you to you. Thank you very much. Have a great day. To our listeners, thank you for joining us and we'll be back again soon. Thanks, everyone.
1: Thanks for listening to the Full Effects podcast, Currency Matters. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and you can download previous episodes, register for our newsletter, view our upcoming events and much more at thefulleffects.com.